Donald Trump crushes the Iowa caucus. NATO admirals warn of all-out war with Russia, maybe World War III, and the next great pandemic. They're saying 20 times as lethal as COVID-19. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to Defining Truth, episode 26, I think, Brandon? Yep, 26. 26. So a lot going on in the world. In fact, there's so much going on, there's no way we could possibly cover it. But let's talk about Donald Trump crushing it in the Hawkeye State with a historic landslide uh, recently here. With 1% of the votes counted, Trump already had 64.5% of the votes. They're saying this is a landslide of historical proportions. That's how much he won by. In fact, the closest guy to Trump was his friend, Ron DeSantis, who who Trump beat by 40 percentage points, not even close. Now, the fallout has uh, been very clear. You already have people coming out in droves to endorse Trump. Uh, as you may have heard, Vivek Ramaswamy dropped out and immediately gave this super strong, supportive endorsement speech of Donald Trump. And now Tim Scott saying he's going to endorse Trump in a huge blow to Nikki Haley because Nikki, as Brennan was explaining to me earlier, appointed him to the Senate. And uh, apparently that didn't go as deep as she thought because now he's going to endorse Trump. Uh, quote from Breitbart this week said, Scott's endorsement of Trump follows the Republican frontrunner's blowout victory in Iowa, besting his opponents by roughly 30 points in a historic victory. You know what I thought was really interesting about Vivek's speech, uh, which I think we posted about on social media a little bit. I, I put a reel on Instagram on it. I thought it was interesting how many times Vivek mentioned the word or used the word truth in his speech to endorse Trump. It was at least six times that I counted, maybe more. And he was talking about the culture war ongoing. He, he kind of bashed establishment Republicans. He bashed socialists and the left's extreme far left moves in this country. And he repeatedly used the word truth, which is obviously a big focus for us here at Defining Truth, in that this, that was a primary opponent for us as conservatives was lies, basically this, this false narrative from the left about virtually everything in our country. And I really think Vivek was onto something there because that's the same stuff that we talk about. And there's a growing increasing number of people who keep coming back to this issue of it's not about these arguments we're having with people left and right of the aisle. What it really comes down to is that there's, there's lies and then there's truth out there. And on one side, on the left, you have a group of individuals who want you to believe that there is no such thing as absolute truth, that reality is relative. It can be whatever you want. And it just completely destroys their ability to clearly see the world around them. I was reading this week, Aristotle's um, organon or, or his writing on logic and the concept of first principles that, you know, all sciences are based on these immutable truths, these absolute truths from which you then base the rest of your uh, thought process on when you're thinking critically. And I think that's really appropriate in today's culture war that on first principles, the left is just totally lost. They've built their entire ideology on these false pretenses, these lies, like we kind of talked about last episode. And so everything that follows is fruit of the poisonous tree. Um, what does that have to do with the Iowa caucus? Well, I think despite this constant barrage of uh, uh, this narrative from the left of 
how evil everyone on the right is and how if you don't vote Democrat, you're a racist and a bigot and on and on and on and on. The truth is that they really don't have any control over the people of the United States who are sick and tired of the far left bureaucracy that takes your money, takes your freedom, takes your children. I mean, the list goes on and on with their authoritarian obsession. And they're showing up and, and proving their discontent by backing a guy like Donald Trump. So Tim Scott looks like he's going to endorse him officially this week. Vivek already did. And uh, that's not good news for Nikki Haley or anyone else running. So I don't know. What do you think about the Iowa caucus? Yeah, I mean, I think it was pretty clear that uh, at least the voters in Iowa uh, overwhelmingly want Trump to be the next president or be president again. Um, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's interesting. Vivek has dropped out. Um, I think it's time for DeSantis and, and Haley to follow. Um, Haley's flip-flopped a lot on, on Trump in the past. In 2016, she, she didn't support him. Uh, at first, she was eventually forced to because he was a Republican nominee. They kind of battled in the UN. Then she writes a book where she compliments him after she spent the last couple months prior uh, talking about how horrible he was. So I, I don't know what her game plan is. I think she's trying to acquiesce to uh, a voter base that doesn't really exist. There's people who are voting for Trump and there's people who can't stand Trump and they're going to vote for Biden, whether they're Republican, Democrat. Well, I think in part, and you make a good point, a lot of the reasons for that flip-flopping is because what I think maybe the average person out there doesn't realize is that most politicians are are, are kind of just riding the consultant wave. So let, let's talk about the power of consultants here for a minute behind the curtains. In fact, for, for, for Trump, you know, his greatest weakness in that regard is probably also his, his greatest strength because... He doesn't, doesn't listen care. to anybody. <laughs> he doesn't listen to anybody. He doesn't care what they say. And if you want to know the, how powerful these consultants are, look at guys like DeSantis and, and Nikki Haley, and you kind of see their narrative going up and down. Well, the truth is that's because there's these powerful consultants behind them saying, okay, this week you need to go say this. You need to go do this. So to Trump's credit, and at least he is kind of like, well, look, this is what I believe, and I'm saying what, I, what I'm thinking right now, uh, filter or no filter. But, yeah, I mean, like touch real quick on – you know, just maybe for the average person who's not, who's never been involved with politics or whatnot, but like how, how deep is the role of consultants in, in a candidacy? I mean, it's huge. I, I mean, uh, I was in the consultant class at <clears throat> one point for a while and, uh, the main motivation I think from what I saw and one of the big reasons I got out is the main driver is money. Uh, everybody, all, all anybody ever cares about is making money and <clears throat> it doesn't matter you know, for most people, as long as you have an R next to your name, uh, you're good to go. And they'll either try to change you or, you know, you'll end up disagreeing with your, your consultants a lot. And it's prevalent in Nikki Haley. I don't, I don't know who she's working with, but she's flip-flopping way too much. And it's because it's all about whatever the polls say. Well, <clears throat> we saw in 2016, I don't know how after tw the 2016 election, anybody could trust a poll. Yeah. Um, we thought that, Hillary Clinton was going to win overwhelmingly and it was quite the opposite, but we've talked about it in the past. Uh, and Brad Parscale, who was a consultant for Donald Trump and is largely credited with the reason that he won in 2016 said that the best thing for, uh, con the consultant class is to lose by one vote. Yeah. Um, and that's because now they hold the keys for the next person. So 
we were constantly cycling when I was working at a previous firm, constantly cycling candidates. It didn't matter who you were, as long as you had an R next to your name. And at yeah. one point, uh, the, you know, it, maybe that didn't even matter. So, um, well, let's, let's nail down on what you just mentioned about Brad Parscale for, for folks listening. So Brad Parscale was a consultant for Trump, largely credited with coming up with the concept or the, the terminology, make America great again. He does amazing stuff with digital. We had a chance to spend some time with him at a conference recently. Very intelligent man, uh, extremely intelligent, what he was doing with yeah, stuff. Yeah, he's a genius. And uh, we don't know too much about it, but I guess he's got a documentary coming out pretty soon that's going to expose a lot of this stuff on the consultant side. But to your point, what, what he said about the 1%. So essentially he said, you know, on the left, the Democrats and their consultants are incentivized by winning. That's how they get paid and they're motivated to drive that train towards the win. On, on uh, the right, Republicans are incentivized by losing because what you have is these little fiefdoms. So if you're a consultant with sort of regional knowledge and you know a network, the best possible thing for you is to lose, like you said, by one vote because you're the guy. So you know the next time a Republican wants to win, they got to come to you because you got all the donors, you got the money, you got the connections. They are quite literally incentivized by losing. So, and and how does that look practically? Well. If a guy with a lot of regional, uh, you know, huspa, uh gets a candidate to win, then he's done, right? So he's going to make his money for that race as a consultant. And then, you know, the, the guy, you know, you look at some, some candidates who remain in office for 30 plus years, right? But if you lose, then you, you potentially have 20 years of money making. You just keep running and running and running. And we see that in Southern California quite a bit. There was a, there was a, a borderline psychotic obsession with how much money do you have? It's all that anyone cared about versus what do you believe in? What's the content of your character? What are you going to do for us? Right? Because at some point doing the right thing, it, it has nothing to do with numbers or polls or whatever. Even if you're the last person on earth standing for truth or what's right, that, that still is what's right. So it's, it's um, yeah, it's really sad that a lot of these people followed and, and to, you know, to this point, again, coming back to um, the Iowa caucus, we kind of this is kind of like I told you so moment, right? All, all these all these other candidates jumped up to jump on the let's run against Trump bandwagon. And we know now from public disclosures that there's a lot of Democrat money behind candidates running against him. So it's kind of just like a movement fueled by I hate Donald Trump. So let's get, you know, Ron DeSantis in there. Let's get Nikki Haley. Let's get all these other people. And, um, you know, good on Vivek and Tim Scott for bowing out when they did. I liked at least what he said on face. If we take it at face value, Vivek said, you know, I respect the people's vote. It was he said it was clear. I wasn't even close. And so I'm going to get out and I'm going to back the guy that people want. I think we could use a lot more of that on the conservative side. Yeah. And to touch on the on the raising money, you mentioned uh, Republicans, uh, donors, grassroots, not grassroots as much, but people of influence are obsessed with how much money you can raise, how much money you already have. And really that's kind of the opposite of how we should be thinking about it. I think it's the opposite of how Democrats think about it. You get these seemingly random people who run on the Democratic side. Look at AOC, for example, was bartending in New York. She didn't have a problem raising money. It's, it's less about who anybody can raise money with the right help around them, right? Uh, if you can get people to, right. And I'm not yeah. saying like, you know, a lot of people want to eliminate primaries and things like that. That's not what I'm saying. But if you have a candidate who has the right values, uh, is willing to stand up for what they believe in, regardless of the outcome, 
you can find people to raise money for them. Everybody gets behind that candidate. Yeah. So yeah, it's there's not plenty about, of money. On yeah. That. It's not yeah. about uh, who who can raise the money. It's about ma- raising the money for yeah. the right. No, we're people. we're in backwards world. I, instead of instead of asking for financial disclosures, what what donor groups and donors need to do is start asking, what do you believe? You know, h- how much are you going to fight for us? What do you stand for, et cetera? That that's what really needs to be happening. Um, but it's not. Anyways. So Trump, uh, you know, wins by a landslide in Iowa, and uh, they're on to New Hampshire. I'm sure we're going to see more of this. I, I don't personally don't think that anyone's going to come close to him. I mean, number two closest behind him is is um, DeSantis at 40 percentage points. He's not even close. Yeah, something that uh, kind of struck me was uh, after the Iowa caucus and and heading into New Hampshire, which is coming up. Haley almost acted as if she came in second place, and DeSantis doesn't really exist. And I don't think that she's going to do well in New Hampshire either. Um, and then she has to face South Carolina, which looks a lot like the Iowa uh, caucus goers. Which she's losing as, in her own state as which well. Which is her own trust. state. And it's not going to be as friendly as I think New Hampshire is. So her best shot would be New Hampshire. And I don't even think she has a shot there. If this was a county supervisor's race, Trump would be the nominee. He had got 50% of the vote. And, you know, that's just, that's how it is. But yeah, to be clear... He had 64.5% of the vote with only 1% of the votes counted. Yeah, I mean, it's insane. Anyways, okay. So next up, going over to world affairs, NATO admiral warns of all-out war with Russia. An article from The Hill this week, quote, top NATO official admiral Rob Bauer warned Thursday that a larger war with Russia and other adversaries is a real threat amid the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Bauer gave the dire warning as NATO announced large-scale exercises next week involving all 31 alliance members, as well as NATO candidate nation Sweden. These military drills, which run until May, are the largest since the end of the Cold War and will involve 90,000 troops, numerous vehicles, aircrafts, ships spread across Europe. So a German newspaper, I've never heard of it, I guess it's called Bild, B-I-L-D, they, this is where this is coming from recently because it's all over the news. Um, they published these classified documents, German Department of Defense military documents. Uh, I, don't, I don't know the backstory on how they got them, but this is mainstream everywhere. Everyone's talking about it now that this German newspaper publicized these classified documents where Germany had basically showed intelligence alleging that Russia planned on escalating the conflict against Western allies in Europe. And so Germany is getting ready for that. Uh, specifically with intense cyber attacks throughout the region. So it's quite a bit of information. If you want to go look it up, you can Google the German newspaper B-I-L-D, build, and and look at the classified things to read it all yourself. I'll try to cover it in a nutshell. But essentially what you have is these these forecasters, these analysts, they're they're using, I'm I'm assuming based on my training and experience, all source intel from different places, and they're compiling this sort of forecast analysis of what we think Russia is going to do. And, and essentially what they're alleging is that they believe they could be in a conflict with Europe by next year. So uh, the newspaper explained that these documents outlined potential scenarios put together by German army generals and European allies uh, that were taking a lot of these Russian threats very seriously, so sort of taking their threats at face value. Um, Germany now plans to deploy 30,000 troops for defense because there's about 70,000 Russian troops based in Belarus, very close to Germany. They also said Russia plans on using the upcoming U.S. election uh, and the season to foment crisis in the region 
and take advantage of distracted Western allies to advance their causes. So what does this all mean? So Russia's sort of in a, in a, in a everything's kind of frozen right now. They, we expect a spring offensive coming up in Ukraine. But Russia loves to mess with us. We've seen that before during election cycles uh, on the intelligence side and espionage as well as cyber, right? They're going to they're gonna do everything they can. Um, it's not lost on Putin that much of the defense that Ukraine has been able to put up against them has been because we're supporting them, right? We're giving them Bradley fighting vehicles and armaments and weapons and all kinds of things. So... They're not just going to sit back and take that. And so what this intelligence is alleging is that they're not going to just go quietly into the dark, that by next year, they're going to escalate their attacks with cyber attacks around the region. And they're going to do a lot of PSYOP stuff during the American election to sort of stir up problems in the region in Russia's favor. Eventually, and this is what the German documents allege, it will eventually lead to all out war with NATO, essentially drawing the Western world into a global conflict, AKA World War III. Now, do we know if this is gonna happen for sure? No, uh, analysts sort of do this all the time. Forecasting is their job. That's how we get ahead of things, right? Oftentimes by really good predictive analysis, you can get ahead of a conflict and prevent stuff from happening by preparing. As uh, we mentioned, Germany plans on deploying 30,000 troops in the region. So see, that's a, that's a counter move because, hey, we think you're gonna do this. So we're going to do this, right? It's chess on a geopolitical global scale. But needless to say, it was big news this week. All, all media outlets had something to say about this. Um, I guess we'll just wait and see what happens. Um, I, I, I don't think there's any reason to doubt that Russia will, will definitely get involved in cyber and um, spam and hacking, psyop type stuff during the election. I mean, that's just sort of part of the course for them now, but... Yeah. So what would be the advantage to Russia besides causing uh, mass hysteria in the United States specifically as far as election goes? We've seen that in 2016 and 2020. What, what, what would be the, the benefit for Russia itself to basically create an all-out war with NATO? I mean, that seems like a losing cause, but what, what's your take on that? Well, it's, it's, that's a really long sort of thing to talk about, but I mean, I'll make it the shortest version I can say is Russia, much like China have reached their capacity of expansion and growth. They're now on the verge of suffering greatly, right? I think in the past we've mentioned how China, for example, is set to lose millions of people that they're, they're, they're needing a fuel, you know, they, they've sort of reached the expansion of their power up against these borders that really the Western world dominates thus far. Russia's even worse. They're landlocked. That's why they need to push out to the port in Sevastopol and get into Ukraine. Uh, they're surrounded by NATO and, and of course, NATO and, and Western allies have missiles around, along their border. Putin doesn't like this, right? So they, they wanna grow, they wanna continue to expand and we're in their way. Now that's a very rudimentary sort of oversimplified perspective on it, but um, you add in the fact that there's this ongoing conflict in Ukraine and they know, like I mentioned, behind the scenes that the West is sort of supplying and proxy warring all of the uh, uh, the gains, if we could call them that, that Ukraine has had thus far. So if you were Russia and you see behind the curtain that America and Germany and, and the Brits and everyone out there, they're helping the people you're fighting with, you know, in, in your mind, you, you can clearly sort of connect, right? Like the Western allies are killing our people. Um, and, and of course, that's true of any conflict. We, we view it the same way with 
Iran and Hamas right now, we see that Iran is supplying the Houthis and they in the past supplied Hamas before you know the October 7th events. Um, and uh, a lot of people have called to just, hey, let's just kill the spider instead of cleaning the cobwebs, right? Um, especially as tensions grow there, we don't have time to talk about it today, but um, Iranian aggression has increased greatly. And now they're poking even other people, right? Now you have Pakistan shooting back at Iran this week because they bombed a target inside of their sovereign territory. Um, so there's always the question of like proxy or direct conflict, right? So right now, for example, the US, we're hitting targets back um, in Syria, Houthi targets because they're hitting ships, right? But we know that the Houthis are all supplied and armed by the IRGC. Um, so if you think of that now back to Russia, Russia has a vested interest in sort of hitting behind the curtain because they know that that's why they're losing on the ground in front of them, right? Imagine if they could distract the West and, and or cut off the supply enough, bleed us dry essentially, then, then obviously that would be an advantage to them in Ukraine. Um, and there's, there's other geopolitical reasons having to do with fuel and resources and availability and seaport access, et cetera. But re regardless, they are a global opponent and, uh, it doesn't look like it's slowing down. I, I, I'd be hesitant to make any specific predictions like this is going to happen. I don't think anybody can do that. But I can. I, I do think it's safe to say that the next 20 years isn't necessarily a safe place. Right. Well, and I think that's why it's important to mention, too, and we've talked about it in the past, why isolationism doesn't work. Uh, we saw that in the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Everybody, <clears throat> that was a big talking point of Obama's and then Biden's. And uh, even Trump's a little bit was talking about getting out of the Middle East. But then you create this vacuum where, well, who jumps in? China almost immediately is, if, is working with the Taliban in Afghanistan. And I think there's a lot of people on the right, conservatives, who want to be isolationists and, and not get involved and worry about America first. And, and you can worry about America first while still maintaining a, a global power presence. Um, and I think that's important because we see... Uh, things like these, this, where, you know, proxy wars turn into real conflict that maybe could have been avoided had we uh, withdrawn or even stayed uh, and done it the right way. Yeah, I think honestly, that's just, and I've said this before, that's just people who, who don't have a clear understanding of reality, especially those on the conservative side that, uh, you know, want us to just pull out of everything everywhere and stay within our borders. It's just immature. You just don't understand how the world works. That That's akin to people saying like, why don't we just disband police departments and it'll, it'll just do away with, you know, having, it's like, what are you talking about? You know, then evil would be rampant. So, you know, there, there is a need because the world has gotten a lot smaller over the last hundred years. You can't just check out and go home. What happens in the South China sea eventually affects us. What happens in Europe affects us. It is in your vested interest to have a global presence and to exert power. And unfortunately, and this is, I think some people have a hard time accepting that life is hard and there are, um, freedom is hard earned with blood, sweat, and tears. You, you don't just get to um, sit back and uh, you know enjoy your country without like say having a good uh, border protection program or national security program or having a robust intelligence agency or having a global presence to to foresee threats coming and you know all, all that stuff ha has to be there and present to maintain the people who live in the bubble so you know a lot of people who become isolationalists they're just ignorant they take for granted all the work and suffering that others are are enduring on their behalf to allow you to kick back in your comfortable home here in the united states 
Well, um, that's a good point too. People are there. There is a comfortability that comes with uh, wanting to be an isolationist. Uh, you've been to war. I have not, but you have. And uh, I think that you would say, and I think I know because we've talked about it, you would much rather fight a war overseas than here at home. And I don't think people really understand the magnitude of the atrocities that happen when you do have to go to war with another nation. And they don't know their history. Look, we, we tried to be isolationists during World War II, and it ended up coming to Hawaii, which is a lot closer than people think. So just something to think about for those out there who think that it's uh, yeah, absolutely. nice to kick back and not kick in. Yeah, so, somebody has to do the hard work, right? Somebody has to put the boots on and, and be the watchman on the tower. Um, I, I think our country could actually do with a dose of um, you know, self-awareness. Like have a little more respect for people that are out there keeping you safe so that you can have your opinion. So last thing we're going to cover today, the next great pandemic. So this week, the World Health Organization leader, health guy, whatever his name is, was warning of an upcoming pandemic unknown at this time that could potentially be as 20 times as lethal as COVID-19. In fact, world leaders gathered also at the World Economics Forum annual meeting in Davos, Switzerland on Wednesday to discuss disease X, a hypothetical virus, they said 20 times deadlier, deadlier than COVID-19. Okay, I just have to stop you. So they say uh, pandemic, upcoming pandemic, unknown at this time, and they use the words, uh, where was it? What did you just say? Disease X. Disease X, uh, hypothetical. Do you know about? Do you know that it is coming or not? Like, (laughs) I mean, we saw that. Yeah, as I say, you're making it now. There's another election coming. Like, people need to understand. Like, this this is not a, a random event because. Uh, spring is coming again, and it's March. Now, this there was an election in 2020. When did when did COVID happen? March of 2020. Now we're approaching March of 2024, and all of a sudden there's another pandemic. It's like, guys, w- wake up. Well, we have yet to hold anybody accountable, like Fauci, the big liar, for example, who who basically hid from the American people that we in part had funded National Institute of Health work to develop these diseases in a lab in Wuhan. They knew that the whole time, and they lied to people about it. So what I find interesting about the World Health Organization's warning here is that there's no mention of the fact that these labs were man-made. These, I'm sorry, th- these viruses were man-made in a laboratory. They're essentially bioweapons. And uh, there's a bunch of articles out there on this I was reading through, but there are several where the World Health Organization said that they've compiled a team of, of scientists and doctors to work on these things to, to figure out which one would be the most deadly. So basically you're saying like, so you're making them, you have these things in a lab. And no one's talking about the fact that um, COVID came out of a lab in the first place and spread across the world or how it happened, et cetera. We've never held anybody accountable for that, even though when conservatives here in the West began to call those facts out at the very beginning, oh, they were racist. You can't believe you said that. You know, all the while people were making billions. And let me be clear, billions of dollars off of this man-made virus that spread across the world. So you have two things that are true at once. There was a disease and it did kill a lot of people, but we're not being honest with ourselves on where it came from, what needed to be done about it, right? The inefficiency of the vaccine was was another big lie. Who um, it was killing too. Who it was killing, uh, the, the effectiveness of tests, like all of it was just nonsense. And then you have uh, Fauci, for example, who just recently comes out and says that the six foot thing was not based in science. They just made the whole thing up. 
No, I made the whole thing up. There the, was there was the no such thing as a six foot thing. And he lied about the mask thing. We had those emails he wrote telling people in his in his private emails the mask thing doesn't really work. It's like they just think that people are so stupid. You know, it's just like let's just make these stupid regular well, people. I mean, let's be honest. They think or they know because how many people went along with whatever Fauci said? I know. Well, and the World Health Organization apparently is concerned that in this upcoming, you know, a hypothetical disease that, and I quote, people won't take the disease seriously because politicians injected themselves into the process of, during COVID-19. That was one of the quotes from the World Health Organization. Well, yeah, because everything that they told us was a lie. Two exactly. weeks turned into four years. Now there's, it's finally ending. People are starting to stop talking about COVID-19. And now there's, how, how do you measure that it's 20 times as lethal? I mean, does that mean that uh, 20 times the amount of people are going to die or is there yeah. some sort of measurement no, because, of effectiveness because that we don't someone know at the lab was like hey we're making one right now it's 20 times as lethal so heads up <laughs> yeah I mean speaking of uh, trickery and, and scheming um, I, I took a look at the incentive program the COVID-19 vaccine provider incentive program oh, this is ridiculous um, this was the government paying providers like Anthem uh, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Kaiser, et cetera, paying them for for how many people they got vaccinated. Now, I have a document here. Uh, you can find this on the internet. If you just Google uh, COVID-19 vaccine provider incentive program, you'll see the trace of money and all that stuff. This one is a sheet of data from Anthem, Blue Cross. Um, the vaccine provider incentive program results are calculated in two time periods. So check this out. It says, how do you qualify for a bonus? This is this is the government telling Anthem, this is how much we're going to pay you by getting people vaccinated. It said, if your practice meets the below thresholds for vaccination with at least one dose by September 1st, 2021, you will receive the initial incentive payment based on the following rates. You ready? So if you're 30% of your members, if you're an Anthem Blue Cross member, if 30%, they got $20 per vaccinated person. If it was 40%, they got 45. Okay, it goes up from there. If 75%, of their Anthem Blue Cross members were vaccinated, the government paid Anthem $125 per vaccinated person. So <laughs> talk about incentive here, right? It's like, forget cardiovascular disease and all the damage or all the inefficiencies or, or unknowns of this vaccine. The government was paying them. Think about how crazy this is, right? The vaccine is manufactured by a private company. So in, 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 in medical terms here, we have a product for sale. Can you imagine if the government not only agreed to push your product for you, but the government was paying people to buy your product? This is why I said billions and billions were made. Yeah, you want to hear, here's the incentive. So in California alone, there's 8.6 million members of Anthem Blue Cross, which is just one healthcare provider out of many, Kaiser and others. 8.6 million members in California. 30% of that uh, times $20 is uh, $51 million. That's the lowest threshold. That, and then, it, of course, it goes up from there. So right from the bat, if you just get 30% of your $8.6 million in California, it's a $50 million payout. That's quite the incentive. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then not to mention you have Newsom buying masks from China that didn't even work. Uh, it, yeah, the, the depth of monetary loss and, and gain for some, loss for others, uh, that we that the United States incurred during the COVID hysteria will probably never be known. Absolutely insane. Anyways, that's all we have for today. There's a lot more going on. As always, stay alert, stay alive, 
And uh, remember, truth is important as well as first principles. So check your worldview and make sure that the premise of what you're thinking about is correct in the in the first place, because there is absolutely absolute truth. And that is absolutely true. And don't forget to check out the book on definingtruth.org. Uh, it is available for a donation of $20. It's on the website. Check it out, definingtruth.org. Yeah. Audiobook's coming out uh, hopefully this week as well, which would be nice if you're driving in your car or whatnot. We've had some great feedback on the book. People are loving it. We were on with Todd Starnes last week talking about the book. And uh, yesterday with Cheryl Chumley, um, who's... Uh, got several books. She's a nationally syndicated host. She's uh, got stuff on Washington Times. Uh, It was a great conversation. We talked about the book that's coming out next week, and we'll pass that on. Um, Yeah, check it out, definingtruth.org, and we'll catch you next time.